Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with my guest, Mike Hodges. Mike, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am. Perfect. Well, Mike, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could share a favorite leadership mindset or a leadership quote but tell us how does it appeal to you and, or excuse me, why does it appeal to you? And how do, actually, let me, I'm going to start over from the top because I just remember um, one of my other kind of opening pieces, you can mess up as much as you want. Um, I always go back and kind of do a, (laughs) you know, I'll do a review of every show. I'll slice out pieces like I just screwed up right there. And, um, Mm -hmm. but I usually don't mess up that badly, but then I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you, you can mess up as much as you want. So um, <clears throat> it's always helpful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, not too, it's very rare that people who do mess up, but I had this one guest who was, you know, we had made it through like the whole conversation. And then he was like, Hey Jarvis, remember that one question? Like we went all the way back. And so it's, it's rare, but it has happened. <laughs> all right. Let me take it from the top. <clears throat> Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Mike Hodges. Mike, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am. Thank you for having me, Jarvis. All right, wonderful. Thank you. And, you know, Mike, we love to start every show with getting our positive affirmations going um, to really just build up some good momentum. So I would love if you can share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why does it appeal to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? You know, Jarvis, I think uh, the the story that comes to mind for me um, when I think about that question is uh, as, a, as a young soldier, uh, when I was in basic training years and years ago, um, one of my, one of my drill sergeants, uh, was giving me some, some daily encouragement as only a drill sergeant can. And he told me that, uh, he'd never seen me see, make the same mistake twice, but he'd always seen me make every mistake at least once. And I thought, uh, that really has stuck with me through my entire career since that time in, in really adopting a mindset that it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, and as long as you're learning from them. Uh, And so, you know, having that thought process of uh, I could make every mistake at least once, as long as I can learn from that and not make the same mistake twice. And that's a mindset that I really try to 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 continue to this day, uh, no matter what I'm doing. All right. I I love it, man. My uh, my mother used to have a saying for us growing up that there's a right and wrong way to do the right and wrong things, which was kind of her way of saying you can even try to do the right things and still make mistakes and the wrong things and they turn out magically well. Um, so, you know, that was her trying to tune us into the same mindset though, is, you know, take shots, you know, make an attempt, learn from your mistakes, keep pushing forward. She also used to say, um, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. So, so that, that's kind of what you're saying there just kind of put me in the mindset of, so I appreciate just that, that thought back to, to good old mom's. I love it, man. The sun will come up tomorrow, no matter what happens today. So Absolutely. that's awesome. Uh, Mike, man, I am, you know, geeking out 
that you said yes. You know, I was just sharing with you um, in our pre-show conversation that I literally came across your profile with the intent of um, inviting you on the show. And you said yes. And I always kind of get excited when people actually say yes. Sometimes I have to hound folks. So <laughs> thank you so much for making it easy. Thank you for just being a guest on the show. Um, and just to our audience, Mike is not our normal quality person. So Mike, I would love for you to just introduce yourself a little bit, share with us your current role, your background, um, you know, what are you doing in healthcare? Because I think it's going to add a unique flavor to our show, to our entire conversation. But definitely, please share with us also what led you into this career path. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, I am a healthcare security professional. Um, my, uh, my current role is I'm the Director of Public Safety uh, for Piedmont Athens Regional Medical Center uh, in Athens, Georgia. And uh, I have been in healthcare for um, 10 years this month, as a matter of fact. Uh, and uh, prior to that, I was in the United States Army, uh, as my uh, earlier story alluded. Uh, for eight years. Um, so I, I like to tell people I'm accidentally interested in healthcare security as a profession. Um, when I got out of the Army, I, I took a job as a night shift security officer uh, at a hospital and, and was doing that as I finished my education. And what I found very quickly through that process is, is opportunities to apply what I'd, what I'd learned and loved about the military uh, in that environment in ways that helped to improve training and efficiencies and, and operational procedures. Um, but what really um, hooked me into uh, healthcare security as a profession and, and what has become my career was um, my exposure to workplace violence in the healthcare environment. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't really understand the full scope of violence against healthcare workers. Uh, across our industry, uh, and it's it's incredible. Uh, you you look at a, a nurse or a patient care tech in in any healthcare setting, and they're more likely to be assaulted at work than a police officer or a corrections officer, uh, which is just a, a shocking thought process for most people to think that a nurse may see more violence in her daily work life than a police officer. Um, but the stats show that on a regular basis, no matter where you're looking. And, and I experienced that firsthand as a, as a frontline security officer and really came to the conclusion pretty early on. There's not, there's not a, a good thought process within the industry of how we should attack this problem. And so um, that is that problem solving when it comes to uh, violence prevention is, is really what's become my um, kind of personal passion in this industry and learning from different opportunities and from various resources out in the industry and then from just trial and error to see how we can make a, a, a truly positive impact in the lives of our care providers uh, on a daily basis, uh, which is not only an improvement for the employee, uh, for our staff member, but also an improvement in the quality of care that's provided to the patient as we create an environment that's safer for people to operate in and, and that people feel safe in. And so there's just huge implications for that across, um, you know, the entire spectrum of healthcare services. And so I think that's, that's where I've gotten really excited about what I do as a healthcare security leader and certainly what's connected me to this profession uh, as a long-term career. Oh, that's perfect. I appreciate that, um, that overview. And first, let me start with just saying thank you for your service, Mike. Um, I have a lot of military folks in my family. And so, 
just that transition, you know, going from military, coming back into the civilian world. Um, I'm happy to share that you might be on the right podcast because so many of my guests, Mike, have also said that they've fallen into healthcare on accident. Um, even myself, my, my own story, like I never would have thought I'd be in healthcare. I never thought I would have, you know, enjoyed it or found a passion to try to improve it, but I have. Um, so you're amongst a really good crowd of folks um, with the folks who have already been on the show. Uh, Mike, I, I love to maybe touch down into your background a little bit more um, because you'll notice from my profile on LinkedIn, I am a certification geek. Um, for your profile, I'm noticing a certification of CHSS and then a whole, you know, smaller list of additional credentials. Could you teach us, you know, in the world of healthcare security, healthcare public safety and so forth, what are some additional professional development or trainings or even degrees that um, professionals from your view of healthcare tend to pursue just, you know, to expose us to the entire mix of just professional development opportunities and public safety. Sure. So I think, um, you know, when it comes to certifications, the big, the big um, professional organization that, that um, for healthcare security professionals is the international association for healthcare security and safety. It's a, uh, international organization that um, really services uh, healthcare security professionals specifically, and they have a series of professional certifications. They have uh, um, basic officer certifications, so certified healthcare security officer, certified advanced healthcare security officer. They have uh, what I currently have, which is the uh, certified healthcare security supervisor, and then they have another, which I'm currently pursuing, which is the Certified Healthcare Protection Administrator, which is kind of the, the highest level certification that they offer. Um, there's other organizations in security. Uh, the, um, the ASIS organization, which is, I want to say the American Society for Industrial Security. Uh, and I'm, if I got that right, I'm going to be really proud of myself. Uh, but they have a, uh, a series of certifications as well for professional investigations and also uh, certified protection professional, which is another uh, really great certification. So there's lots of professional development opportunities out there. Um, from an education standpoint, people come from, from all walks of academic pursuit into security. Uh, and there's certainly in, in our post 9-11 reality, um, there's a lot more directed academic opportunity when it comes to you know, being able to get degrees in Homeland Security or um, strategic intelligence or things along those lines. The, the primary pursuit for most folks is certainly criminal justice. Um, as you see a lot of folks coming out of law enforcement careers into security careers. Uh, my uh, academic pursuits were completely different. Uh, I actually got a, my bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and my master's degree in executive leadership, which is really kind of a, a hodgepodge of um, organizational psychology and, you know, business administration. And so it gives you kind of a look at, uh, which I think has been usually beneficial to me, um, business, business metrics and business intelligence, which has helped drive some of my quality improvement initiatives and my interest in data collection and measurement and, and how you can direct um, the growth and improvement of various initiatives through, through effective measurement. Um, but that, yeah, I think um, 
academically, there's so many different routes, but from a certification perspective, you've got a couple of really good organizations out there and, and IAHSS would be the, the premier. All right, perfect. And I want to circle back too on another part of what you shared um, in terms of just kind of back to that workplace violence. Um, in my experience, <clears throat> I guess kind of two things. One, I know um, there are a number of healthcare organizations out there that it feels like they're only just now starting to, you know, either ask for more data, better understanding, kind of more research into the world of uh, workplace violence. But I don't feel like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just my perception of the world, but I, I don't feel like it's like solidified yet. It still kind of feels new in a lot of ways to me personally. Um, but then the other part is that, you know, so much of it also plays into um, some of the disaster planning scenarios within a hospital, whether it's, you know, cold silvers for shootings or abductions of babies and things like that. So just wanted to just, <clears throat> I don't know if this is more thought, you know, kind of open thought, more so than a question, Mike, but um, just again, if you could teach us uh, a little bit more in terms of, um, you know, what are some of the things going on to help us maybe better get our heads wrapped around workplace violence for healthcare professionals? Um, big, I don't know, it, from legislation to just local, you know, organizations trying to do things. And then, um, you know, how does that also kind of play into disaster plan? So like I said, I, I probably a really big question. I probably should have broke that up better for you. But <laughs> but now, you know, my brain is thinking and I got I've got stories. I used to be an ER director, so I've got stories. Um, but oh, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to, to kind of hit you with that really big question and, and really just, you know, make the most of your your awesome background. Yeah. So um, it, the bottom line truth is. Nobody in our industry has a handle on workplace violence prevention. Uh, I think, to your point, there is a significant um, increase in overall awareness. Uh, and I, I think, to some degree, that's a cultural transition in healthcare in the industry at large, uh, and maybe even a generational transition as we see just a significant shift in um, you know, the median age and tenure of most of our frontline clinical staff. But I think when you look at um, violence prevention overall, one of the things that really is shocking to me is uh, the numbers that we are starting to see and that are starting to gain more traction are just tremendous. Um, when you look at uh, you know some of the data that comes out of uh, OSHA, you know five times more likely than any other professional group. When you look at some of the data coming out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know uh, our um, days away from work and worker compensation issues associated with workplace violence, 11, 11% higher than um, any other professional group. So just some of the numbers that we see are tremendous, but we also have to, to look at that in conjunction with uh, information that we get out of uh, NIOSH and, and the CDC that, that says we're, we're only reporting about 20% of the problem. Uh, and under-reporting being a huge issue, but even in that with that understanding, we're only reporting 20% of the problem, potentially, potentially just one fifth, but it's still the highest numbers in, in any industry across the United States. Um, what, Forbes put out an article not too long ago, around the, around the first of the year, that the headline read something to the effect of uh, healthcare remains the most violent profession or most violent industry in America. Um, and I, I I loved the 
the just fact that they're, you know, as bold and as, as blunt as that headline was, the thing that stuck out to me is remains. Uh, and, and there's very clear upward trajectory and an upward trend uh, of the numbers that we're seeing. And, and you could argue uh, that it's because of increased reporting and increased awareness, um, which is, you know, probably in some degree true. But the truth is, Nobody really knows at this point. There's not a ultimate authority on violence prevention in healthcare. And so what I find fascinating is that so many different people, as they're keying into this problem, uh, are really starting to try so many different things. Uh, and so, you know, you can look at different organizations like um, uh, the ANA or the, um, the Emergency Nurses Association or the American Nursing Association both putting together professional groups to work on this, teams and committees to look at this problem specifically. OSHA has uh, definitely raised awareness as they made workplace violence and healthcare one of their top five priorities. Um, and you are seeing legislation start to come up. Um, this this past year, and I'm trying to remember the exact name of the bill is HB, um, it's escaping me at the moment, but passed a, a bill passed Congress um, that uh, actually would um it was it was hr 1309 uh is what it was so it was congress's workplace violence act for healthcare workers and it was an actual attempt at legislation which has been pushed for a couple of years now it actually passed the house but not the senate uh this year but would would put um would make would point to the osha and to say hey you need to put some regulations in place for this issue because it is so out of hand. You have seen tremendous uh, moves across multiple states and state legislatures uh, to take action and to really force um, healthcare organizations to take certain steps. You know, California has led this initiative or Cal OSHA has really led this initiative in putting together actual requirements for what a workplace violence prevention program has to have, or at least some of the main components and, and mandated that for healthcare organizations. I think, I think what is um, most difficult to really capture and what would could, what could potentially drive the most change and innovation is really understanding the true cost, not only human, but from a business perspective as well. Cause you know, we can certainly look at individual stories and see the tremendous impact of trauma related to a violent act or an assault. Um, but you also can quantify that in, in the loss of productivity, the increase in turnover, um, the, um, the costs associated with workers' compensation. Uh, you know, none of those things are tracked effectively across our industry. Uh, and it's also very hard to quantify uh, in truth when you look at uh, just the various levels of, of interruption to our daily lives. I, I, I put in my um, my blog, my little introduction to myself, you know, I, I really believe in uninterrupted passion. And, and what I mean by that, and it sounds kind of corny, is you know, I think healthcare is a passion-driven industry. People get into providing care for people out of a passion for that, to serve and to help and to care. Um, and violence, especially in, in the healthcare realm, uh, causes just incredible interruption to that process. Um, across the board. Oh, Mike, that was perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, you know, I, I, so many takeaways in everything you shared there. 
from, you know, the opportunities, again, whether it's local, whether it's federal, but just the, the policy changes to address this issue. Um, I think the awareness, again, I, I don't know, you know, I wish I knew the demographics of every one of my listeners, but for the most part, the folks that reach out to me continuously, just giving me thoughts and feedback on the show, um, they're all healthcare, a mix of healthcare administrators and then other process improvement folks like myself. But, you know, that said, I don't know, you know, their overall awareness around workplace violence. So I think your breakdown right there was perfect down to the statistics, but even down to the fact that, you know, the impact on workplace violence has such a huge impact on the business. Now, that's the part that I know my audience is going to appreciate um, and may hopefully ask questions like, what is, you know, the impact of workplace violence within their local facility so they can do the research, quantify it, understand the impact, and hopefully put some really good um, just, you know, protocols, policies, procedures in place to balance it all out. But um, Mike, I just, I really appreciate you letting me dig on, dig in on that. Um, I know we spent a ton of time on the first question alone. Um, so I am going to move <laughs> us to the, to the additional questions, but I just want to say thank you. That was really good. And that was exactly what I was hoping to bring to this conversation, because um, again, I, I think this is just one of those topics that no, you know, people are talking, but not yet. You know, we know about lean and six Sigma workplace violence, I think is another one that should just be just as prominent in a lot of different ways. So, um, so thank you again. Um, yeah, I think, let, let me throw two resources out there for, for your listeners. Yes. I think that are really please. effective. Yeah, please. Um, there's a, uh, there's a toolkit that was put together by Vizient, which I'm sure some of your, your, uh, your listeners will be familiar with their organization, but is the Vizient patient safety organization um, that put together a toolkit on managing behavioral crisis in a, uh, I want to say it was managing behavioral crisis in a clinical setting was the name of the toolkit. And it, uh, there's several, they pulled together a national team of uh, experts from, from various institutions. Uh, I was able to participate. There were folks from, um, from all over the nation and took out some best practices to look at there. Uh, the other tool I would point to is the uh, Association of Occupational Health Professionals has a quick start manual for um, for occupational health in general. But in that manual, they have a chapter dedicated to workplace violence program development, which I think is incredibly uh, useful as well. And I would recommend anybody looking to try to get into that, um, seek out that particular um, resource. I think the goal is changing mindsets from reactive to proactive, right? You know, we, we kind of get stuck in this idea that we have to react to violence after it happens, uh, which is, which is, I think, a fundamental flaw in the way we approach workplace violence currently as an industry, because there are absolute methods and mechanisms to prevent violence from happening to begin with. Um, and I think we have to start changing our mindset to be proactive instead of reactive. All right. Wonderful. I could not have said any of that so uh better but i appreciate those um mike this next question just to give you a little bit of background but on this podcast this is like one of everybody's favorite questions the next one that i have for you um i've been calling it the dark place question but again given our conversation i want to approach it appropriately so you know tell the best version of this question that that is appropriate you know given your background um, but the next question I have for you, Mike, is I'd love for you to take us on a journey um, through your healthcare career 
that you would consider your worst, or excuse me, your best moment of failure. Um, I'd love for you to really take us into the moment, you know, tell us the story, but then also tell us some of the major lessons learned from that. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting question, and and I I love it in so much as I, I love um, taking failure and 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 what other people might look at as a mistake and turning it into a success and utilizing it for growth. And I think some of the best opportunities we have for for personal development, professional development come out of uh, moments of failure. Um, I would say some some of my um, biggest frustrations uh, early on in my career came from trying to implement different ideas I had about violence prevention, um, certainly from a kind of a bedside threat assessment perspective. And and one of the things that, that I really found early on was, you know, just because you have a good idea and uh, just because the idea may work doesn't mean it's going to be successful if all you do is, is you know, if you develop it and throw it out there in a vacuum. Uh, and I think we, we struggle in healthcare in general with, with creating just phenomenal silos uh, that we operate in and don't, don't share and don't collaborate effectively, don't play well with others. Um, could probably be a good t-shirt for us. But uh, one of the things that, that I learned early on out of failure, and this, this was in the implementation of a, of a, a bedside threat assessment tool, is I, you know, I put this, this, what I thought was a phenomenal tool together. I got the, I got the stuff. I, I did all this training for my team, uh, and I sent them out there to execute, and they fell flat because everybody, nobody was prepared for them to come up with this thing. Nobody was prepared to um, entertain uh, sharing information about that would help make it successful. And, and a lot of that just happened because I, I didn't involve others in the, in the planning process. I just had an idea and I ran with it. And, and I love initiative and I love people who take initiative and are, are willing to have an idea and run with it. But collaboration is so key. Uh, and, and that's something, that's a lesson that I learned early on that the more, uh, the more you can collaborate with the key stakeholders in any initiative, the more effective you're going to be at the actual implementation. Uh, and I also think, um, the more well-rounded your idea is going to be, uh, uh, I, I, I think, um, collaborative violence prevention is the only way we're going to really make a dent in the overall epidemic of violence against healthcare workers. And so being able to pull others in and learn from them as well as share what you know with them makes us all better. Uh, and that was probably uh, one of my biggest, uh, how do you put it, best moments of failure early on was um, operating in my own silo instead of reaching out and, and bringing others in to to, to help and support and work collaboratively together. Perfect. I, I love that story. Um, I, I think that is going to resonate very well for, um, you know, our crew of quality people that plug in with the show, because I think we're all in the business more or less of coming up with ideas and pitching them and, you know, hopefully seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Um, so I, I think that's going to go over well, but let me ask Mike, um, you know, Mike, you know, September, 2020, coaching up Mike from back then that was coming up with that idea in his own silo. Um, what, what do you tell that guy and, and, you know, ways to avoid making that same mistake again? I'd probably start by telling him to loosen up a little bit. I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I think, you know, don't, you know, don't get in the way of your own success sometimes. 
you know, one of the things I like to, I like to tell people now is, is I'm in far more mentorship roles now than I, I was back then, <clears throat> especially as, as I'm mentoring young security leaders to say, Hey, you know, sometimes you just need to give some intent and then shut up and listen. Uh, especially when you're pulling, pulling groups of people together and, and, you know, it's a lot of your job as a leader uh, is it has nothing to do with coming up with the actual solution. It's creating an environment that allows others to come up with an effective solution. Uh, and I think, you know, some of the, some of the best successes I've had kind of an inverse to, to what you just asked was when I, when I was able to paint a, a picture of what the future could look like, and then ask others to join me in trying to create that future uh, or to just to just ask people what that perfect world looks like in the future. If this if this problem was solved and everything was beautiful, what does that look like? And then and then engage others in dreaming together uh, in a way. So let's let's dream about how this can be better. And then and then let's work together to make that dream a reality. And a, a lot of that. Uh, really involves me not talking nearly as much as I'd probably prefer. Perfect. Well, you had me at shut up and listen. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect, um, Mike. Thank you very much. I, I really, again, loved the additional coaching that you would do for yourself. Um, excited to hear. You know, you're coaching up the future healthcare security leaders, and uh, you know, if they got someone like you to look up to, um, they're going to be in a really, really good place. So. Um, thank you for that. Um, next question, just to kind of dig us up out of the dark place a little bit. Uh, Mike, I would love for you to give my quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you've uh, used to help, you know, build those intimate connections on the teams that you lead. Share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, and um, I think each, you know, first off, each team is different. You know, anytime you pull you know, a different group of people together. Uh, you've got to allow that group to establish some some of their own identity. Uh, and oftentimes, the same trick never works with the same group or with different groups. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy when putting together a project team, and this goes back to what I just said, is is engaging everyone in in you know designing what we're trying to work towards. Right. And so whatever the whatever the project team is being put together to do, and certainly there are always going to be parameters and, and guidelines that we have to work through, but but really engage everyone in, you know, let's let's start by not worrying about all the obstacles we already know exist. Let's start from the very beginning by by creating that perfect goal. And then let's work backwards from that to see how we get there. And I really think that kind of shared vision casting experience really creates a significant amount of buy-in from everybody that's working with you um, because everybody takes some ownership in the way we, we cast that vision together. And I think that's what, uh, that's one of the best, I don't know, tips or tricks, if, if you want to call it, to, to really kind of starting that ball rolling well. No, I, I love it. It sounds like that's probably, you know, your background in um, organizational, um, industrial organizational management coming out there. That, that sounds very psychedelic, psych psychological. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely helps, man. I, yeah. 
got to, got to leverage that uh, education somehow. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, next question I have for you, Mike, I would love if you could share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. Uh, but again, you know, share with us what the moment was, how did the idea strike you, but definitely if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. I think, I think one of the biggest aha moments I've had has been um, separating criminal intent from disease progression when we look at violence prevention. Uh, one of the biggest cultural barriers we have to uh, workplace violence reporting or uh, proactive uh, violence prevention in healthcare, in my experience at least, has always been the, um, um, the compassion that our healthcare workers have. You know, they, they get in, you know, like I said earlier, they get in, they get into their, their role because they want to care for people and they have tremendous compassion for the people they serve. And there's a, there's a divorce in most people's mind between a, a physical assault and the intent of that individual to actually assault. And when you remove intent because of disease progression, um, we oftentimes don't report that incident uh, of assault or we don't try to prevent that incident of assault because we have compassion for the disease that put this person in that altered mental status. I think one of my biggest aha moments was really starting to understand that workplace violence, irrespective of criminal intent, is still workplace violence and we need to work through a prevention mechanism. So where we might see uh, violence as a result of disease progression. And I think in, in most cases we do, because I think that's really why those underlying disease progression issues that lead to altered mental status or uh, some form of encephalopathy or, or whatever the you know psychiatric issues associated with that, whatever those issues are from a medical perspective, we have to have true compassion for those. But we still have to protect our staff as well. And I don't think you have to... Um, you have to look at every incident of workplace violence as a criminal, as a crime in nature, or that individual who perpetrated that as a criminal uh, in order to uh, provide effective protection for staff. Uh, certainly where it's appropriate and where criminal intent is, intent is real, you know, treat it that way and focus on it that way. Um, but um, I think you can actually look at violence prevention in a lot of ways as an effective mechanism to treat the patient more effectively because we can also associate um, the altered mental status and the things that lead to the confusion that leads to the lashing out and the violence uh, as indicators of the deterioration of the patient's condition. And so we can really impact uh, the effective clinical care for that patient by keying into violence prevention indicators and by engaging providers, um, you know, our medical staff, our, our advanced practitioners, uh, all of those types in the treatment of the patient by identifying those indicators. And that aha moment really is, you know, violence prevention can equal better, more effective care for the patient as well as a safer environment for the staff. Uh, those don't have to be mutually exclusive goals. Hey, Mike, I, I just want to say, man, that aha moment, you really have me thinking um, in, in a good way because I think you're right. And, you know, as you shared the story there, so like the example of, you know, a, a father coming to a mother baby unit, um, you know, expecting to see his newborn child only to find that the baby and, and or the mother may have passed 
you know, during the procedure and they just lose it in that instance. And, you know, they're flipping out on the entire staff. Um, you know, I, I've heard of that situation before. And then the staffs, you know, they kind of write it off. Oh, it, it's not his fault. He was upset and he was this not, you know, holding him accountable for the workplace violent part, but there was no criminal intent. You know, he just had a moment and we're all human, unfortunately. Um, or to your point too, you know, the, the 75 year old patient that gets a little bit of dementia in the middle of the night and they're flipping out while the nursing staff is trying to, you know, restrain them or, you know, just make sure they don't fall or anything else. And they, you know, accidentally, accidentally more or less, right. Slap the nurse or punch the nurse or kick the nurse, whatever the case is. I hear those stories all the time and you're right. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the staff just kind of, they, they brush it off. Like, that was just a human being a human. But to your point, you know, there's still a level of safety that has to be maintained. And there's, you know, then there's the other part of it. Was there criminal intent? Yes or no. Um, like I said, I don't even know where to go with it, man. I'm, you just got me thinking. I never put that kind of thought into it. And at the same time, you were 100% right. Like we still have to protect staff. Like that's not cool. That's not allowed. We can't let this just go unexamined so when, well you think when, you think yeah. about that scenario that that you know you think about that scenario how many other professions uh can you walk into that service provider let's let's say you're going to get your haircut you can walk into the to the barber shop and you know slap the barber across the face and get away with it yeah it's not the case but in in healthcare environment we often have people who are who you know, who have been working in the in the industry for years who think that that's a normal part of business. And it, it shouldn't be. We, we should not have an environment in which employees feel like getting slapped or punched or kicked or bit or whatever that is, is a normal part of their lives. At the same time, as as healthcare providers, we do have to have compassion for the people we provide care for. Yeah. But there are there are a million tools out there that can help us be preventative and proactive and provide excellent care, provide high quality care, uh, and keep our staff safe. And there's nothing that's gonna help us provide high quality care more than providing a safe environment for staff to work in. I mean, if you're scared to death of your patient, you're not gonna provide the best possible care for that patient. Yeah. It's just not possible. And so, yeah, I think um, I think there's lots of opportunity there for us to really change the, the cultural mindset around uh, around violence prevention in that way. All right. Well, Mike, man, I, I'm telling you, whatever whatever contribution that you bring in that space, you know, if it's a book, uh, definitely if it's a podcast, we'll hopefully get the chance to brag <laughs> about that later. But whatever it is, yeah. I'm, getting, I'm getting behind it because, like I said, that that was the opportunity when I came across your profile. I just I, I know the experiences that I've had or that I've heard about from other colleagues, and this is exactly the conversation. Um, that I wanted to bring to my podcast specifically, um, just to, again, to expose people to, you know, the inside of healthcare. So um, thank you. Like I said, I don't even know if there was just a thought or a question, but your aha moment just turned into my aha moment. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> next question I have for you, Mike, um, what are some changes going on across the healthcare industry that you're personally excited about? And if it's okay, I'm going to change this, the, the second part of this just a little bit. Um, the original question is, you know, what role do quality professionals play to support it? But I also want to add in, you know, what role do security professionals play to support it if it's a security-based um, change that's coming? 
Yeah. So I definitely think, you know, the thing I'm most excited about is, is what we talked about earlier, that just growing awareness mm-hmm. of violence as an issue that needs to be addressed and that we need to take proactive action on. I think, um, I think there are a lot of opportunities um, that are becoming industry trends that are going to just produce significant dividends long term. Um, you know, violence risk assessments is one of those things that I see as just a phenomenal opportunity. And there's, there's a, again, a plethora of, of clinically valid tools out there, but the, uh, the ones that come to mind are the BROSIT violence checklist, the STAMP tool, the aggressive behavior risk assessment tool. Uh, there's several others out there, but all of those are, are starting to gain more traction along with, with violent patient flagging, meaning, you know, we've executed a tool like that, which is a clinical assessment. Uh, that's produced a risk value to give us an indication of possible violence or a tendency toward violence, then let's flag that individual uh, for that encounter and, and really start to share information effectively with ancillary staff. You know, one of the things that, that we found anecdotally early on in, in my career is, and the, the security staff has responded and is well aware of the issues with this particular patient. And the bedside nurse is really well versed with the issues with this patient, but nobody told that poor phlebotomist uh, who was called in to pull some labs or that dietary worker who was bringing a lunch tray or, you know, and, and we end up with, with issues for our ancillary staff as well. So there's a, a much more holistic uh, view of prevention. So I think those type trends really do get me excited. Uh, I mean, when I, when I started my blog, my initial series was on violence risk assessment tools. Because uh, I, I really felt um, burdened to to get information out there about uh, the effectiveness of those tools and start to try to uh, garner a conversation on the utilization of them. And I think I think we're seeing that across the, or, the industry. Um, I would say, um, as as per your original version of the question, quality professionals, um, data and and analytics is so key in really diving down and understanding the problem. And I am a, I am a data nerd, uh, which is hard for me to say at this point in my life, but it's still true. Uh, I, well, it's I officially love, recorded now too. So I, it's, you know, it's there for posterity, but I think, uh, I think I love, um, I, I love engaging quality uh, professionals because um, there is a skill set there for data collection, analytics, uh, metrics development is phenomenal, and I think quality professionals have a tremendous opportunity to contribute to the field of violence prevention and helping uh, partnering with security professionals and, and, and as an industry, uh, really helping us get our, our arms around data collection effectively when it comes to um, understanding the true scope of violence in healthcare and uh, analyzing the data in such a way that we can take action on it. Right. And then for healthcare security professionals, I think the, I think the big opportunity here is ownership. Um, if you're a healthcare security leader in, in, in a hospital or an outpatient setting or whatever the, the, the setting might be, you have a responsibility, I think, to own violence prevention in your facility and be the leader in that facility to push and to pull collaborative teams together and push out uh, solutions that are going to be effective for your staff. I mean, protecting persons and properties are our number one responsibility, and that and that has to start in healthcare with uh, mitigating violence. Well, let me let me add this one question onto that, um, Mike. And you know, for our quality people, for our healthcare administrators that you know may have just may not have already plugged in with 
um, you know, the workplace um, security teams or programs within their organizations. So, you know, tr- you're talking to me and let's assume I know nothing, which is not always too far from the truth. But, um, you know, if I wanted to learn more within my facility, who are the folks that I should talk to? And I, I ask that because at the different locations that I've worked or different clients that I've supported, um, it can always, it's all over the place. Sometimes there's a legit security department. Sometimes some of this goes to the COO, the CNO, like there's different places. So could you give us maybe just a quick overview? Like who should we talk to if we wanted to get more in tune with workplace safety or any of these other functions so we could help a little bit more? Sure. So you know, I, I go back to that collaborative team. I don't, like I said, I don't think any one aspect of our industry has their arms around this this issue, uh, and I don't think there's there's any one person out there uh, who has their arms around this issue. There's lots of individuals who are, are doing a lot of amazing work, um, but I think I think uh, one, you have to evaluate your security leadership in your organization and, and make sure that you've got some. Um, uh, some expertise there that you can rely on. Uh, healthcare security, and this is just this is just uh, you know my honest take on our our industry as a whole is is really just now starting to um, modernize in a way that's that's truly effective for those that we serve. Uh, and there, that's obviously going to be different at different facilities. And there's some facilities that have really bought into. Uh, modernizing uh, the tactics, techniques, procedures, technology that their security forces use and are doing a phenomenal job. And and there's others of uh, in our industry that are they're still really lagging behind. And I think as an industry, we've got to we've got to really start setting a higher standard for our security professionals and make sure that we've got the expertise in our organizations we can rely on. And then when you're putting together a, a, a team to really look at workplace violence holistically. Um, you know, certainly your security leaders are, are critical to that, but um, your you need representation from your provider staff. Uh, there needs to be a physician engaged in this. There needs to be someone there from your social work staff. Uh, you need to have uh, your employee health and safety professional, uh, your occupational health professional uh, there to participate in that. Having a quality person is a great idea. Uh, just from from trying to start to analyze the the data and, and get opportunities for quality improvement initiatives associated with violence prevention, I think um, you know your emergency management and your um, you know just environmental safety uh, professionals are a big part of that. And I also think, and this is this may not be one that's that's obvious, is your um, your facility staff. Because I do think there is a, a tremendous opportunity in our industry to start looking at crime prevention through environmental design and some of the concepts associated with that and making that a reality in the way that we build our facilities to be more um, more uh, preventative uh, and suppressive of criminal activity and, and violence in general. That was beautiful. I, I think we could just turn off the mic and uh, end the show on that one. <laughs> no, um, no, thank you for that. You know, that that was so very detailed. Um, I, I love just the additional um, thoughts there. The, and you're right. You know, as I even said when we first got on, like quality is everybody's responsibility. You know, to your point, security is everybody's responsibility. So I love that. Absolutely. Love it. Um, looking at my next question for you, Mike, I hope this applies. So I may 
kind of tweak it up as we go. But, you know, this is, again, a show for quality people. So the question is, how can the uh, healthcare industry become a more attractive and ambitious place, um, a more attractive place, excuse me, for ambitious and talented quality people um, to start and grow their careers? But I, again, maybe want to at least add in, you know, security or public safety professionals. Um, You know, what are the things that the healthcare industry would need to do or tweak or adjust to make more folks like you, you know, want to get in and get involved and change the industry for, for all the reasons you're driven around. Um, I have been, I have been incredibly uh, blessed in my career to have uh, leaders who were open to innovation. Um, uh, and, you know, that, that goes all the way back to the security director who was in place when I uh, started my career in healthcare security uh, and who, uh, who, um, was incredibly patient with all of my crazy ideas and and that goes currently to to my um, um my executive operations leader now who is, is you know very patient with all of my crazy ideas but i think uh being in an environment that nurtures innovation and supports uh the development of of new ideas is is going to draw people who are interested in that, who are interested in being innovative, who are interested in being, you know, showing initiative and that kind of thing. I think also uh, healthcare has a lot of opportunity. Um, and we talked about silos a little earlier. We have a lot of opportunity to break out of the clinical mindset and really start to embrace ancillary areas more effectively. And I, I would say that across the board, you know, certainly security and public safety, these are, these are you know, ancillary departments. Um, that are oftentimes left out of the conversation altogether because we've decided to go in a direction that the the clinical staff wanted to go, which is not not necessarily wrong, but the collaborative opportunities there are missed. And I think, you know, whether it's you know public safety, security, environmental services, uh, engineering facilities, uh, all of these different areas, um, you, know, you know, dietary and those types, uh, all of those different areas, there's opportunity for us to garner the expertise in those areas and utilize that to the betterment of all of our processes. And so I think if you want to make healthcare a more attractive place for ambitious and talented people, uh, quality professionals, security professionals, whatever professional, you know, be open to innovation, be open to ideas, uh, give people space to try things out uh, and, uh, and, and really work on being collaborative uh, across all aspects of your organization, not just within the clinical mindset. Wonderful. I love that feedback. And uh, Mike, I'm going to move us into a part of the show now that I call the two-minute drill, kind of kind of a, a take from my old football days, but gives me a good reason to kind of throw a, a rapid-fire Q&A session into this podcast. But I always love to check and just make sure, you know, as my guest, are you ready to rock and roll, man? I'm ready. All right, perfect. Well, uh, Mike, the next question I have for you is a two-parter. I would love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, then also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? So I think, you know, the, the motto of our, or the, the purpose of Piedmont Healthcare, which is the organization I work for, is to improve the lives of those we touch. Uh, and and I, I talk about this all the time with, with my security staff. We, we have the opportunity to touch people's lives often at their very worst moment, um, you know, whether it's a traumatic issue that's brought them to the emergency department, whether it's just a painful diagnosis, uh, whether it's the passing of a loved one. Uh, we interact with people in a healthcare setting 
at what is potentially the worst moment in their lives. And we have an opportunity in that moment to um, make a powerful difference for those people. Uh, and I think that is, that is the true, the true um, opportunity in the things that we do on a daily basis and the things that, that I see my staff do on a daily basis, which blows me away and inspires me all the time. It's, it's just amazing the, uh, the human drama that plays out in healthcare uh, and our opportunities to make a powerful and positive difference uh, for the people that we interact with. Uh, and then I think uh, the, the thing that I, uh, and this goes back to what I said before, what I'm trying to inspire others, um, I want to remind them of that uh, and the impact that they have, but also uh, continue to paint a vision of where we're going and their role in getting us there, no matter what it is. And, you know, I tell I tell my folks all the time, you know, my goal is not to be um, awesome security at Piedmont Athens. My goal is to set a national standard for uh, the delivery of healthcare security set, uh, services. And, and each uh, officer that, that, that works in our department plays a role in that. And, you know, we set that standard together. And so we paint that vision to move forward. And, and we are all better as a result of raising that bar. Wonderful. And um, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Just try things. Don't worry about don't worry about making the perfect solution uh, from the very beginning. Uh, it's far better to try something and improve it as you go uh, than to um, be paralyzed by uh, indecision as you try to design the perfect solution from day one. Wonderful. And Mike, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? No, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm good. <laughs> I, there's lots of different opportunities in healthcare. I'm, I'm, I am right where I'm supposed to be. Yep. All right. Fair enough. You know, it's funny about that question is um, it's still maybe somewhat new question that I've added to this show. And it's about a 50, 50 split. Mike. you know, half the people saying, you know, they would trade and half the people say they're good. They're happy where they are. So you're again, you're in the right spot, man. You are about to become like an honorary <laughs> quality person from tonight forward. So <laughs> I love it. I'm all about it. There you go. All right. Uh, Mike, I would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success for leading all the work around, you know, safety and security that you lead. Um, I, I think it, I think it really is knowing that things get better the more you work at it. Uh, and uh, you know, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes, I have no idea who said it at this point is um, nothing wilts faster than laurels that have been rested upon. Uh, and I love, I love that because it is just tremendous. The, um, the, the desire to get to the end and finish and call it good. And, and it's a one and done solution and we're all better for it. Uh, but, and, and, um, the, uh, in the, in the world that I work in, I think there's constant opportunity for improvement and that's, that's where things get better as you go. You're always seeking to improve. I love it. And what is a go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on the work that you leave? I don't know that there's a, there's a, a one-stop, you know, we've talked about this a lot. There's no one-stop shop. There's the joint commission has a tremendous, uh, has a great workplace violence resource page um, that I think is, is great. Uh, when I go, when I'm looking for references there, some of the other professional groups as well. Um, you know, the, the American Nursing Association, uh, NIOSH and, uh, IHSS, of course, I think would be a great go-to website for anyone. They have a, they have a plethora of industry guidelines that have been put together that, 
uh, are excellent resources. And I know we kind of touched on this also, but just to bring, make it official, um, is there an official uh, professional society or professional conference that you would recommend to our quality people that you think would be a value add? Sure. Uh, the, yeah, that, that would be the International Association of Healthcare Security and Safety. Um, tremendous organization. And then uh, they, have a, they have an annual conference and exhibition every year that I think uh, would benefit greatly from having more engagement from outside the security industry, from executives and, and leaders in the healthcare industry. Absolutely. Perfect. That, that sounds like an official invitation quality people to plug in. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, Mike, if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? Um, probably uh, Turn the Ship Around or Turn Your Ship Around by David Marquette. Uh, he, he was a, a captain in the Navy, and he, he wrote a book on leadership based on his experiences on a nuclear submarine. It's just phenomenal. Really, really talks about pushing uh, decision-making authority to the lowest possible level because that's where the information is, and that's where you've got the information to act, and that's had a tremendous impact on me. So. I love it, and it, it sounds like it also aligns with um, high reliability principles. Um, not sure if you're familiar with those or not, but that that's what I hear in that Absolutely. as well. Yeah, I mean, he talks about that throughout the book because you know, nice. he's in nuclear submarines and the nuclear industry and talking about high reliability and um, I think lines up extremely well. All right, perfect. I love the recommendation. I, I'm not familiar with it, but I will be looking it up after the show. So thank you for that. Um, that that's the whole benefit of this, of this podcast, Mike, is like I get everything first. So um, I am the <laughs> first to take action. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, man, we are right there at the very last question, but just want to give you a heads up that this is a personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past while also having you look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send yourself one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Mm -hmm. So I think I think the the message to myself in the past would be uh, loosen up and keep moving forward. Um, I, th I, think, I think I'd add to that too. You, you're going to be amazed at what happens next. Because um, I think so oftentimes we get, we get stuck on what happens next, like what's going to happen after this or what's going to happen after that. And, and I'm certainly guilty of this. I live, I live way too much in the future sometimes. My head's always five or 10 years down the road and I'm trying to hurry up and get there. Um, and that was that was probably even more true ten years ago when I was ten years younger. <laughs> but uh, I think um, I think yeah I think you know loosen up keep moving forward you're going to be amazed. And then to myself in the future I think I think I would say I, I think I would just send a uh, yeah and I'm proud of you. I don't nice. know what's going to happen next, but I'm confident I'm I'm, I'm proud of myself either way. So. All right. So I, I like both of those. I really like that message. I'm proud of you. Just go ahead and put it into the universe. Um, Mike, man, I'll definitely say I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm, you know, just thankful that I had this chance to speak with you, to learn more about you, but to, again, just learn about your passions and the things that I see posting on social media with you. Um, would definitely, you know, love to give you a chance. I'm going to let you brag about it first, and then I'm going to double down on it. But, you know, upcoming information that I've been seeing about a podcast would you yeah so um uh my uh my uh partner in crime um Brian Hamilton and I 
Uh, he uh, currently runs another podcast called the Healthcare Security Cast, and I currently um, operate a blog called the Proactive Security Blog, and he and I have joined forces uh, and are putting together a podcast that will be debuting um, in the next couple of weeks, actually, on the 15th of September will be our first uh, episode. Um, but it's called the Proactive Security Podcast, and it's going to be um, very focused on uh, violence prevention in healthcare. Uh, so um, that's going to be an awesome way to connect with us, and we'll be talking about uh, different solutions for violence prevention and trying to highlight best practices for violence prevention in healthcare. And, uh, hoping to start bringing in, you know, after we get started a little bit, start and bring in others that we can do interviews with and and really help uh, shine some lights on some of those areas around the industry uh, where people are doing amazing things to help make our, our environment safer for our staff. Right, perfect. Well, you know, it's, it's things like that, just again, seeing um, healthcare leaders in general, you specifically and Brian taking action to just kind of promote it, get the awareness, get the, get the word out about this focus. Um, I, again, I'm honored personally. So thank you again for saying yes, but you know, Mike, before we let you go finally for this evening, I know I've held you a little bit past then uh, the time I was hoping, but um, I would love if you could just give our quality people that parting piece of advice um, any other takeaways or ways to connect or follow you through social media? You got the podcast coming up. I connected with you and found you on LinkedIn, but if there's anything else, I would love, you know, go ahead and give those things a shout out. And then Mike, I promise I will finally let you go. my. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Love to connect with people there. Um, I do have the the blog as well, the proactive security dot blog. If you want to look it up, uh, I host it through uh, WordPress. So we're pretty easy to find. Uh, and I think, you know, just as a as a parting piece of wisdom when it comes to, you know, our main theme tonight, which is violence prevention, is um, violence can be prevented, uh, you know, and, and that's my underlying philosophy in everything that I do. We don't, we don't have to wait until someone's assaulted to do something. Uh, we can prevent violence before it happens, and that, that can improve not only uh, the lives of our staff, uh, but also the the quality of the care we provide for our patients. Perfect. Now, I appreciate that final message. Violence can be prevented. So, you know, for our quality people, I want you to think about that with the work you're doing for our healthcare leaders. Be sure to make that a part of your strategies year to year within your organizations. Um, you know, again, I appreciate all of the words of wisdom, Mike, everything you shared tonight. Uh, to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Mike, and we are signing off. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.